Welcome to the Rent to Retirement Podcast, your resource for passive real estate investing and retirement strategies. If you're new to real estate or planning your financial future, you're in the right place. Join us at renttoretirement.com to find your path to financial freedom and an easy, carefree retirement. Enjoy the show. Hey, Rent to Retires, it's Adam Schrader here. And today we are once again joined by Chris Reed. He is a fiduciary who runs his own investment company and helps specialize in the insurance world. So Chris, thanks for joining us again. Yeah, it's good to be back. Absolutely. So one of the things we talk about here that you'll hear Zach talk about all the time, you'll hear me talk about, we talk to our you know guests about all the time is generational wealth. And that's really kind of what we're doing with our real estate business as we're buying rental properties and building our portfolio. But, you know, you run in the insurance world and you can have a product that can actually help build generational wealth as well. Can you run us through a little bit about kind of how the general, the generational wealth and insurance can coexist? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really love where you guys come from because for me, generational wealth isn't just like money that we pass on, assets that we pass on, real estate and that kind of thing. I think the most important thing we can give our families is our time while we're here because that's that's all they're going to remember, right? So I, I love real estate for that. Um, my portfolio allows me to spend more time with my family and I love what you guys do for your clients. It just working with you guys and being on that same team of doing the best thing for the client and the ultimate win-win, which is very uncommon in both of our spaces. That's why I love talking to the people who come to me through you is because they're just so happy with you guys and like the things that you guys have done for them. So first and foremost, just, I'm just pumped that you, me, Zach, all are aligned, right? In our values. Um, From an insurance standpoint, I do, I spend a lot of my time doing financial plans asset management, stock market, real estate portfolios, and all that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, it's kind of funny. Insurance, out of the reputation that, you know, we have to deal with in all these lines of business, insurance is kind of like the most standoffish, kind of grossest. Man, we don't want that. It's a sale. Um, But I will tell you the financial difference that you can actually make with insurance products, with things like guaranteed rates of return, um, never losing money, like passing on wealth tax-free from a taxation standpoint. Insurance is one of the best tools. It's not the sexiest. It's not the one I talk to all my buddies about at parties. I talk to them about (laughs) my adult family homes, right? That are kicking off big time income. I love those, that's exciting. Um, But at the end of the day, I I have delivered checks to families um, from insurance policies term insurance, what people refer to as whole life insurance, all those kind of things. And watching that money land in that next generation or two generations down in that bucket of money for them to then live their lives. It's, it's a pretty powerful tool. Yeah. And let's run through, um, just in case people haven't listened to the other podcasts about, uh, about insurance that we've had, can you run through again, just real quickly, the difference between, um, not necessarily whole life and, um, you know, term insurance, because people probably know a bit about that, but just the different term, the different whole life policies that people can get, because you hear people talking about different kinds of whole life insurance, but can you run through kind of the different avenues that you can take with that route? Yeah, so you're right. So term, there's term and permanent is kind of the two blanket terms that I use. Term is renting, permanent is owning, right? It's the best way to explain it. But then when you start talking about permanent life insurance, um, whole life, universal life, indexed, 
variable participating, non-participating, dividend paying, like, oh my goodness. Uh, I get I get doctors and lawyers, you know, a ton of professionals and things like that, because um, we talk about tax shelters and all that kind of stuff. And my goodness, if you want to go down a, just a dark black rabbit hole of <laughs> egos and marketing and just the weirdest conversations, go ahead and look up the difference between like whole life and index universal life. You're going to get into the weeds. The best way I can explain it is um, like if you're looking at a car lot everything on that lot is a car. Everything has four wheels and will go. But there's like some Ferraris, there's very few Ferraris and there's a whole bunch of Pintos, right? <laughs> so one of my frustrations and one of the reasons why I agreed to engage with Zach and, and get in this business relationship with you guys um, is because I believe in what you're doing and I know mathematically what you're doing is better than other stuff in the real estate world. Same thing, at some point it's almost exhausting for me to try and ply people out of that whole life versus universal life because I'm a completely independent broker. I don't work for one company. I have the illustration software to run projections on almost every policy in the country. So I'm not some guy selling some program where I'm going to jump up and down and talk about making you rich and overnight wealth and be your own bank. Like I, it doesn't blow my hair back. I'm a professional who oh, is for multiple reasons. For, yeah, for a decade. So, um, so just generally high level one one whole life insurance. I will tell you, people say, well, I don't. I had a guy say, well, I don't have a dog and fight. I don't know which one's better for my clients. And I said, well, I do. Right? There is a mathematical difference. And and to put real rubber on the road, I have a guy right now. He's got two different Northwest Mutual and one Guardian policy. He's paying a total of seventy five thousand dollars into these three policies. His plan was to pay for another seven years and stop. So we looked at the projections from those three companies. And when this guy's 65 years old, he should have about $1.2 million tax-free that he could pull out of those whole life policies. So running a very conservative side-by-side, -side, if he was in a better chassis, if he was in the Ferrari instead of the Pinto, he would have $2.4 million. That's real money. That's not some sales pitch. That's not some guy on the internet trying to get you to wear his t-shirt and buy his product and his training. That's real actual money that this guy can use to, I mean, he makes decent money, right? So he's gonna be worried about things like sending his great grandkids to college or these irrevocable life insurance trusts that he's gonna set up and all these things. But I don't care if you're putting 500 a month or $75,000 a year into a product it should be going into the product that is going to do the, the most for you and your family. So that's really what it gets down to. Now, there's some deep actuarial realities that come into play. There's mortality and expense charges, cost of insurance, there's distribution ratios, there's interest rates that are paid, there's arbitrage at play, there's all these other things which people like want to be interested in. But at the end of the day, like that's where I come in as just the specialist who I have too much rattling around in my head and one day I hope to purge it all. But for now, like that's just kind of my wheelhouse. <laughs> so let's say you're that guy and you've got a policy that'll pay out 1.2 or, you know, even, you know, 500 or something like that. And they come to you and they say, you know, what are my options? And you run it and say, well, I can get you, you know, based on you look at the numbers 2.4. Is there anything people can do if they already have, a whole life policy set up. I mean, to 
kind of do like what you can do with a 401k and roll it over into another or you know is that not an option that great question yeah as a matter of fact it's called a 1035 exchange so you guys in the real estate world you know what a 1031 is right yes add add four and you got life insurance yeah <laughs> yeah precisely four pieces of the tax code later you get the life insurance so just like a 1031 allows you to take gains from one property and and non-taxably transfer it to another property exact same thing as a matter of fact the people who've been paying into these whole life insurance and again it's never judgment on my part i have a non-financial background if someone would have got me to buy a whole life insurance 15 years ago whatever i would have bought it right who 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 wants to rent their insurance when they can own it nobody right so they if if we come across that scenario if they take the 10 minutes to get on a phone call with me and pull it up in black and white it's never me spewing these things and just rattling it off and expecting people to believe it from me it's me saying hey let's do our due diligence let's call your insurance company and see what your insurance company says your policy is going to be worth in 30 years and then we will take a look at a different insurance company and see if that's better right so it's never a mystery to me how that math is going to turn out, but I like to walk people through the black and white so that it's not me saying it. it's it's the it's both insurance companies saying it. And then if they decide that it's something better for them, better cash accumulation, new policies have long term care built in, which no 30 year old cares about, but a lot of 50 year olds care about, <laughs> um, you know, better distribution rates, all these different things. And then if they go, oh, you know what? once they dig down into the Google machine and ask me all the questions and I'm more than happy to answer them, then yeah, it's no problem. You get qualified with a new company. You do a 1035 exchange. What company A mails a check to company B in your name. We fund your policy. The, the nice, the great benefit of that is that now you have a whole big lump sum of cash up front. Now we now you're rapidly building that cash up rather than having to start at 500 bucks a month. Now we're putting in 25, 30, 100,000 dollars and now you can actually start accessing that cash a lot earlier for real estate and other fun stuff. Okay. And so when it comes to to that kind of you talked about due diligence and calling up the people and talking with them about, you know, what your policy is going to look like in 30 years with each one. Is there any other due diligence people need to do because I know with like with real estate you're looking at you know, the neighborhood, you're getting an inspection, you're getting an appraisal, you're getting all of those things, talking to your property manager and having them go look at the property. So what all is the due diligence for insurance and how much time does it actually take to do your due diligence on it? What people are mostly concerned about is financial strength of the company. Um, even American general member too big to fail. So life insurance companies are the most heavily regulated, conservatively invested financial institutions in the country. They also, they trade more options and they have more assets under management than like Bear Stearns, JP Morgan Chase. So from a financial strength standpoint, even, and on occasion, your little rinky dink companies will fold, but they get purchased by other insurance companies. And a lot of times those policies even get better after they get purchased. So the due diligence piece, like we can cover that at Standard & Poor's rating, Moody's, AM Best ratings for those type of things. But then really, um, and like I said, it doesn't make me super popular at parties, but like I know the culture of these companies, which is as important. So because when we're talking about like rates of return, insurance companies have different levers that they can pull, which will either increase or decrease your rate of return. I know some companies that sucker people in with really high rates of return and then drop 
those, pull those levers, right? So then they can start making more profit. Whereas I know companies have had steady high payouts for decades. Um, that's non-mathematical stuff that no, you can't find that on Google, right? You're not going to find and, and And even the stuff that I have found, like I have people that are purported to be experts and I have just been amazed by the nonsense that comes out of their mouth <laughs> that is, it just blows my mind. And I'm so, um, so from a due diligence standpoint, you just want financial strength of the company, really the independence of the person helping broker your deal is the biggest, one of the biggest things. So like I am contracted with almost every A plus rated carrier in the country. And the ones I'm not contracted with, I don't want to be contracted with because their products are nonsense. They're not very good. Um, but if you have somebody who is captive to one company, right? they're going to tell you that their policy is the best. And quite frankly, they'll probably believe it in their hearts. They probably own a policy themselves. And then I like, I've come across them at financial conferences and we've gotten to talk about our insurance and we'll look at our projections and stuff. And they're like, they're flabbergasted. Like they've been, they've been with this company for 15 years drinking the Kool-Aid and they're like, Oh my God, my policy's so terrible. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> but, so you're uh, at both the uh, parties and conferences. That's good to know. Oh my goodness. Just don't go to one. They're just, <laughs> um, everybody's, uh, my industry is dominated. Anyways, most of them are really great folks. They're really great folks. Yeah, a little wonky, a little weird, but who am I, right? Look at, look at this <laughs> male pattern balding I got going here. <laughs> So let's talk about how the policies actually work. I mean, you talked about, um, you know, building up over time, you know, what, I mean, we, we went over it. If people want to look back at, uh, I think it was maybe our first or a second one that we did together. You looked at the projections and showed kind of one policy in general, but when it comes to rates of return, there's a guaranteed rate, I believe. And then there's the actual rate of return. Can you talk over that a little bit and kind of what you've seen? I know um, you've told me before kind of in general what your policy has done percentage wise, but just kind of run people through the difference between, I mean, if they're guaranteeing you a rate of return, why would they ever give you, you know, if they're saying we'll give you 7% a year, right? why on earth would they ever give you 11%? Yeah, great question. Um, so what you're talking about, well, the difference right between the two vehicles there, especially whole life versus universal life, one is dividend paying and that dividend is declared by the board of governors. I'm not one to knock them down. They've always paid, oh, whole life companies have always paid a dividend. The question there is if it's declared by a board of governors, every dollar that they give you is going away from the company. So it's actually ironic. One of the things I run across is some of the captive companies have triple A plus gold plated platinum level financial strength ratings. And that's awesome. It makes me feel good. The problem is when you realize they are so financially strong because their war chest is so full of money that they're not distributing to their shareholders or policyholders. So that's really kind of the old school one. The new school ones make such better rate of return because they actually participate in the stock market. So you're not in the stock market. You participate in the stock market gains and never the losses, which I heard that on a radio show one time. And I was like, sure, Mr. Snake Oil Salesman, what goes up must come down, right? But it's different. And I can explain it if somebody's interested. I'll get into the option bonds trading that they do to accomplish that. But so, I mean, you're generally going to capture a majority of what the S&P 500 does on an up year. And when the market tanks and turns over, 
your account value doesn't go down because of loss in the stock market. So then that usually dovetails off into a conversation about, well, what if I just put this money in the S&P versus this insurance contract? The question is, it depends. If the market goes up and up and up and up and up forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and you're willing to stay fully invested in the S&P 500, even when you're 70 years old and completely relying on that money, probably the stock market, maybe, I don't know, but there's no rule that says the market doesn't go down for the next five years or go cycle. How about up and down? That's one thing people don't see coming is a sideways market. Well, in that case, maybe a, maybe a life insurance policy might be a little bit better, but the most complete answer you can get from anyone is one's not better than the other. They're just different. They're just different. One does one does one, one creates tax-free cash accumulation. The other one is taxable. One goes up, one down, the other one goes only up. One pays off if you die, the other one doesn't, right? So, but I mean, from a rate of return standpoint, because I know people want that number, um, north of 9% typically, like in a good year. So like, not sexy, but super sexy when the market's tanking. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, you look at the historical averages of the stock market and people say it's, you know, eight to 10%, but if you take it, you know, decade by decade, sometimes, uh, or like a rolling decade, it's, uh, sometimes not so pretty. Cool. <laughs> go, go, go from the dot, top of the dot-com bubble to 2015. It's like 13 years of stagnation. Yep. Yep. So, absolutely. So yeah. you, you've mentioned, and I want to go into this again. Um, I know we've touched on it before, but when it comes to the generational wealth, I guess when, let's say I have a policy, it's worth $2 million. Sure. I die and it gets passed on to my kids. Are they required to actually take the the policy or can they just kind of turn it into their own policy? No, when, when a policyholder passes away, the death benefit pays off to their beneficiary tax and probate free. Now, tax free is qualified depending on the size of the rest of your estate. If you pass on $20 million of real estate to your family and $20 million of IRAs and a $20 million brokerage account, then that insurance policy is going to get lumped up in with your estate and probated state and federal income or estate taxes are going to apply. Um, but check with your CPA and attorney. You don't listen to me for tax advice, but there are things like irrevocable life insurance trusts, right? So that is where, especially people with illiquid portfolios, you leave your kids $10 million worth of real estate here in the state of Washington. And the, and the state of Washington is going to come after you for five or 600,000 bucks. Right. So now your kids are looking at this portfolio of real estate. So a first and foremost, first world problems. I'm sorry, kids. Boo -hoo. <laughs> you have to sell some properties. But if you want to, it's, it's honestly, it's more like farmers and stuff. Like you pass on a $10 million farm. They can't see, you can't sell off a hundred acres to like try and pay the tax man. So where irrevocable life insurance trust coming is the trust is the, the owner and the beneficiary. That money then goes into that trust and then avoids probate stays outside of the estate. Um, so that's where you get to passing it on generationally is creating that tax-free benefit for them that can go and either pay for stuff in the, out of the estate or at the end of the day, even if they take it and it's not in a trust, it's, should, it's unless you were passing on a ton of money, really probably will be tax-free. And then they get to carry on with their lives, build their wealth, pass it on to their kids, right? And so hopefully our children are good stewards of what we leave them. 
so on and so forth until you're right. Your grandkids are well taken care of. Okay. And so you talked about if you get like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, you can, you know, you're rolling over with the 1035. What's a, you know, let's say I pass on even a million dollars to my kid with the life insurance. How much are they actually able to fund into their, you know, if they want to create their own to pass, to continue handing down, how much can they fund their own account if they're just starting it? Well, I mean, Adam, I hope you live long and prosper. <laughs> if we're leaving your kids a million bucks, they're probably going to be in their sixties. Right. <laughs> so at that point, if they come to me or my son with a million dollars of tax free money, you can actually lump some money like that into a life insurance contract and blow up and create this other huge big life death benefit. Now there's some, it's called a modified endowment contract. It's like a more complex version of life insurance. Sorry. Bottom line is it's doable and it's going to then create an even larger tax-free benefit for their family or if they need to live on it or if they need, if they want to use it for other investments at that time, they could do that too. Um, Typically, when I'm looking at any bucket of money, it's usually smart to break it up and kind of do different things with it. Okay. So when does it not make sense to utilize? Like, I'm sure you've talked to people and it's been like, yeah, this may not be the the right thing for you. Uh, when does it make sense to not create a, an insurance policy? Um, yeah, that's almost more important to know than what it is, when it is, because very rarely will you get a guy like me who goes, eh, don't do that, right? So um, if you have a lump sum of cash, if you have a bunch of taxable non-qualified money sitting in the bank account and you're just getting into the real estate game and you need every penny available to come to you guys and pick up one of your Cape Coral properties or, right? Don't take that deployable cash and put it into a life insurance contract. Don't let someone talk to you into doing that. Take it and do a real estate, right? Buy Bitcoin, <laughs> Do whatever. This is, not a, this is not official financial advice, by the way, Department of Finance. <laughs> um, usually in that situation, that's when I'm like, okay, well, you, you've got 50 grand. Go talk to Adam. Get yourself a nice income producing property. But hey, check it out. You, may, you have an extra two grand a month that just kind of accumulates, which is where you probably got that. At that point, does that make sense to take a thousand of that two thousand? and now create this separate asset class of insurance, of cash value insurance, that does something very different than the real estate or from your 401k at Amazon or whatever. So that usually that makes the most sense is to take that monthly recurring stuff, get involved in a tax-free cash growth vehicle like life insurance, but then take that 50 grand and go buy a duplex or a quadplex or a rental or something like that. So that's one time when it's, you don't wanna get into it um, cash accumulation, and unless you're in a specific set of circumstances for older folks, is not the best because all life insurance products, I don't care if you're in the Pinto or the Ferrari, they're not get-rich-quick schemes. So you need to have someone who's very honest with you, set that up for you, and give you realistic expectations on how you're going to use it. Um, but those are probably the two older, and then, and then it's just not get-rich-quick is kind of the bottom line, I suppose. Okay. And the last thing I want to get into before we wrap it up here today is you mentioned, you know, pulling money out of your account to, you know, buy real estate with the, the funds in it. When you actually want to delve into the money that you have in your life insurance policy for investments or whatever you need to do, 
Um, how does that actually work? Like, are you paying an interest rate on it? And if so, is it similar to what you're getting like in the mortgage rate or, you know, is it more like a small business loan or kind of what, what is it similar to when it comes to actual expenses that you're going to be paying off the loan? Yeah, great question. And it is kind of weird because it's attached to a life insurance policy. So I usually like to have people kind of think about it in terms of things they understand anyways. It's basically like a term life policy with a tax-free bucket of money that they can dip into. Or I do like the be your own bank moniker because it's like, hey, if I had the bank of Chris Reed up the street instead of Chase Bank, and I logged into that account and there was $100,000 in there and I wanted to borrow $50,000, I would much rather walk up the street and borrow it from myself than from Chase Bank. <laughs> because, so from an interest rate standpoint, um, most of the best policies are capped. They have capped interest rates of like 5%. And since, and since even with the feds making noise right now about interest rates, the insurance companies base their contractual interest rates based on current market rates. So interest rates right now are hyper low. So insurance companies have written these very low capped interest rates into their policies. So I can borrow money off of my policy with a cap of 5%. So even if in 20 years, interest rates are at 15%, I will have a bucket of money at 5% that I can borrow from. So that's generally kind of what you're like. So they're in the single family residence financing space as far as interest rates. Typically they'll kind of track that. Um, the nice thing is if I borrow $100,000 from myself at 5% interest, out of that 100,000, out of my account value, they'll take like that 5,000 in interest for the year. But if the stock market returns me 10, they'll actually pay me 10. So I'll arbitrage and gain $5,000 on that loan. So that do not ask me how they do that. <laughs> because I know more than I would say a lot of folks, but I, I still like, I haven't unwrapped that thing, but I've seen it in action and it's super cool. So. <laughs> it works because it works. It works. Yeah, I'm not going to question it. When they give me money out of my policy, I'll just let them give me the money. <laughs> All right. Well, is there anything else you want to cover today before we wrap it up? Nope. No, I think that's about it. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Chris. Really appreciate it. You can get in touch with Chris by going to the Rent to Retirement website and clicking on the about. He is on our Meet the Team page that is there. Uh, once again, that's at renttoretirement.com. You can also see all of our. Uh, inventory that's there on the list that you can buy with the money in your policy or you if go. you're one of the people he said uh don't don't do it then you can buy it through there but uh that's renttoretirement.com if you have any questions for myself or that you want me to pass along to chris you can email podcasts at renttoretirement.com that's podcasts at renttoretirement.com we really appreciate you going on to your podcast platform and leaving us a review um really like i said that helps other people know that it's a podcast that you enjoy and something they should check out. But uh, otherwise, head on over to rentsretirement.com, see what we're all about. You can schedule a call with Chris right there on the website, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Rent to Retirement podcast, your number one resource for wealth building, real estate investing, and stress-free retirement strategies. Continue your real estate education and invest with us at rentoretirement.com.